Hi, everyone. Oh, a little loud here, but I uh, hope everybody's doing well. I know uh, the weather's getting a little cold, and I've heard that some of us are um, a little under the weather. So hope you stay healthy during this time. And I know I have to, so I won't get Natalie sick during this time. But uh, let us stay healthy together, all right? Um, my name is Aiden, by the way. If you are new to our church, welcome. Uh, glad you're here. Um, now we're going to go into the time of the Word together. We're going to continue on uh, in the Gospel of Mark. And today we'll be uh, looking at chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. So if you could turn there with me, or you can uh, look at the screen. Uh, we have the verses for you up there. Um, but let us continue to uh, heed God's word, as that is our hope as a church. And uh, may we um, just crave and love our God's words together. So let me read it for us, and uh, we'll pray one more time, and we'll go right into the message together. Mark 5, 1 through 20. Uh, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, uh, out of the tombs, a, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched them. Uh, wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he has always crying out. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, "What have you to do with me, Jesus?" the Son of the Most High God. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdmen fled and told it in the city, in the country, and the people came to see what it was that, has hap that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion uh, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat, 
the man who had, had, who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he, had, he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. That is God's word. Uh, let's bow our hands one more time. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for uh, this time. God, may your spirit uh, be filling our hearts right now so we can heed your word and may our hearts come alive because you are here with us, speaking to us. Help us, God, and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, three points uh, for us, as usual, uh, so we can uh, follow along more easily. The first point is the desperate need for the Lord. Second, the absolute authority of the Lord. And third, the current mission from the Lord. And the title for this message is The Lord Over the Spiritual Powers. First, the desperate need for the Lord. To look with me in verse 1, it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the garrisons. For the next slide, I know some people love maps, so I got maps for you. Um, just as a you know, backdrop of the story, if you remember from the passage we studied last week, you know, it was about the storm, right? You know, Jesus and his disciples were traveling from one end uh, to the other uh, in, the, in the lake called the Sea of Galilee. And, and during the voyage, you know, they encountered a life-threatening storm, and, and Jesus walked up from his nap, and instantly he calmed the storm, you know, making the disciples, uh, you know, freak out and cause them to uh, ask, who is Jesus really? And in today's passage, you know, we see that, you know, Jesus and the disciples finally arrive at the other end of the lake. And that the region is called the country of Gerasenes, which is part of uh, the greater area called Decapolis. So you see that the region there in, in the color gray. Uh, the word Decapolis literally means 10 cities, Deca, 10, and Polis cities. Um, and uh, this area consists of indeed 10 or 14 cities, mostly in the eastern side of uh, the Jordan River. And the whole area covers modern-day nation Jordan, as well as Syria, and some areas that are in dispute between Israel and these nations. At the time of Jesus uh, in the story, uh, this area was, was a well-known uh, Gentile area. It was a Roman region where it was culturally and religiously pagan, uh, meaning, uh, you know, as opposed to the Jewish religious uh, culture, uh, this area, you know, celebrated more, you know, secular uh, culture. Uh, and that's why we will see uh, later on that there are pigs, uh, by the way, because uh, in the Jewish area, there, there were no pigs because pigs were, pigs were considered unclean according to the, the Old Testament laws. But in this area, you see pigs. Uh, so different cultures and uh, religion really here. So with that backdrop of the story, let's go into the further of the story. 
So verse 2, it says, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man uh, with an unclean spirit. So here's the main character of this story. So we've got to pay attention to what it's like in order to understand the whole story. Here's a man uh, possessed by an unclean spirit. Uh, later we also find out that it's not just one spirit, but many demons possessing this one poor guy. And here, there are some uh, characteristics of this man you know, possessed by demons. So let's read together verses 3 through 5. It says, He lived among tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been uh, bound with shackles and chains, and he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. And night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So a few things stand out here. Three things. First, this man is isolated uh, from the society. You know, he lives in tombs. How many of you, by a show of hands, would love to live in cemetery? Thank you. Nobody, right? This is weird. Nobody would live there unless they're you know, banished or you know, uh, unwanted. And that's who he was. He was unwanted and banished. And here's the reason why. Second thing that stands out about, about this man is that he's violent. You know, he apparently had this you know, superhuman strength that no one could subdue him. In fact, the studies actually show that throughout history, uh, those who were possessed by demons, that are, which, are, which is real, by the way, uh, they do display unusual this degree of physical strength. So this man was dangerous to the other people. And thirdly, lastly, he was utterly tormented in his body and soul. I just, just read uh, verse 5 and just try to put yourself maybe in his shoe or perhaps the people who are watching him, that he's crying day and night, wailing day and night. He had this mental pain and anguish in his soul. And he's cutting himself with stones, meaning you know, some scholars say this is a form of uh, primitive uh, demon worship scene. But whatever this is, you know, we see that he's you know, self-destructive. And interestingly, the Greek text of this passage uses the word anthropos to describe this man. Uh, the anthropos is an origin for anthropology. It's uh, the word for human beings, meaning Mark calls this guy human being uh, who has a dignity because he's made in the image of God, you know, according to Genesis 1, 27. And yet, it's hard to see his humanity in this story so far. I, I think you could even agree or, or argue that you know, he's below the state of even animals uh, in his physical, mental, and social qualities of life. Poor guy. And at this point, uh, you might just, you know, write off the story as an ancient story about, you know, a, a guy who was possessed. But let me um, suggest to you that uh, this story is closer to home to us than we think. You know, I came across a news article 
uh, recently that reported a terrible crime in which a 14-year-old boy killed a 13-year-old girl by stabbing her 114 times. And there's another famous story, right? I think this is pretty uh, out there recently uh, of these parents uh, who for years you know, regularly starved, beat, and abused and chained their 13 children. And one of them escaped and you know, she reported them to the authorities. And I think these news articles and re- reports you know, in this show that these perpetrators are uh, acting in subhuman ways and they're treating other people also in subhuman ways. They are not displaying the dignity of human beings. And, and could we go a little further now from there? The question is now, so those are the people out there in the media, but what about our own hearts? When we have anger towards other people, don't we in our minds treat them as worms to destroy instead of us, you know, treating them as humans made in God's image? And when we have lust towards other people, aren't we objectifying them instead of sanctifying them for uh, their God-given dignity? Meaning we act in subhuman ways too, and we treat others in subhuman ways. What I'm trying to say is, although this man in our passage that we just looked at uh, is unique and extreme in that he was demon-possessed, we could say that this man, in fact, represents the whole humanity um, you know, who is estranged from God. You know, Many of us, again, may not be demon-possessed, but the spiritual forces work with our sins in our hearts and we do what our sins crave to the detriment of our and other people's humanity. And as a result, just like the demon for this man, we are isolated oftentimes because of our sins from one another. And we violate you know, one another as well and ourselves. And lastly, we experience physical, mental, and emotional pain you know, by which we cry out perhaps day and night for some of us. Meaning, you know, our condition away from God is horrific and pitiful, just like the demon-possessed man. All of us, you and I, non-excluded in this room or in the world, we need a redeemer. That's the point. Second, the absolute authority of the Lord. So let's look at the Redeemer here. Verse, verses 6 through 9, it says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, the, the man possessed by demons, he ran and fell down before him, and, he, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, 
Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. At first glance, it it may kind of look weird. It's like, why are they asking for each other's names? Are they, like, trying to meet and greet here? Well, uh, in ancient documents that the people were familiar with at the time, you find that during exorcism, which was pretty prevalent at the time, uh, the exorcist and the demons try to gain power over one another uh, by calling each other by their names. And that's what's going on here. That's why Jesus asked the demons what his name is. And, and he said, so they say their name is Legion, which is a Roman uh, military unit. So it means that you know, these demons are you know, arrayed as an army with multiple soldiers, uh, you know, having you know, conquered this man at their colony, and now they're facing Jesus in a battle. That's what's happening here. Um, so the scene right now is that they're trying to fight Jesus, but you can feel in the wording that they're no match for Jesus. Because you know, right away we see they're begging him you know, while their you know, knees are down. Uh, they're begging him not to torment them. They are no match. And most of all, you know, they, again, try to gain power over Jesus, and you know, they're doing that by naming him, saying, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. And you can imagine, like, right, right away, they're like, oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> because this title, Son of the Most High God, is, in fact, the highest title for who Jesus is in the book of, in the book of Mark. They just identify Jesus to be the most formidable person and being in the universe. So the result of the battle is predictable at this point. So we go on to see what happened at the end of the battle. In verses 10 through 13, it says, And he begged them earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, um, and they begged him, saying, you know, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. You've got to imagine this you know, together. This is a spectacular scene, isn't it? Um, you know, the, the demons... Uh, again, are begging Jesus, you know, uh, another time. And this time, they're asking him to not expel them out of the, the, their home turf. And, and, and they finally ask him to rather send them into pigs instead. And here, pause and see what's happening here. The demons and Satan need permission from Jesus to do anything. It's important because in the book of Job, we also see Satan, you know, uh, dialoguing with God, and he needed God's permission to do anything to torment Job. Meaning Jesus is God who has an absolute control over evil and spiritual beings, that he can restrain, permit, or use evil for 
his good sovereign purposes. Satan can do, can do nothing apart from the permission and approval of Jesus because he knows what's best. He even uses evil. And upon receiving, so we go on, uh, you know, his permission, the demons enter into 2,000 pigs, 2,000 herding nearby, and, and the demons cause them to rush down the cliff and drown. Um, maybe some of us feel bad for the pigs. 2,000, just imagine, it must be an ugly scene there. Um, but on the one hand, this shows that the, the, the Satan and demons have no good purpose for their host. Just like they did to the, the man that they possessed before this, their, their, their goal is to destroy whoever they possess, unlike God. And the, the, the pigs dying like that shows their intention. But on the other hand, um, this picture of 2,000 pigs dying in front of our sight shows the decisive victory of Jesus over Satan and the demons um, in this battle. Again, meaning demons are no match for Jesus. Jesus, with a flick of hand, he can defeat them because they're under his authority. They can't do anything apart from his permission. So you see, the evil forces, I mean, these days maybe, you know, we have diminished the fear, but uh, there are demons out there still until they get defeated by Jesus when he comes back. Uh, these are powerful beings. They can torment people very easily. But before Jesus, they're nothing. You know, last week we saw that Jesus has absolute authority over nature coming the storm, but here now we see that he's has absolute authority over even demonic spiritual forces too. He is a powerful, almighty God. And coming back to the, the healing and uh, the uh, casting demons out of this man, we see that with his absolute power and authority, he's able to save anybody. No matter what, you are going through, no matter why you're back on a struggle, whatever, he can save you. He's almighty, sovereign God and Savior. Here next slide. Um, his name is Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, special, but how many of you are familiar with who this is? Is it because of the Netflix movie? Okay. Um, if you're not familiar of uh, who he is, he's probably uh, to be remembered as the most gruesome and gross murderer in history. You know, he was arrested in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 1991. It was found out at the time that he had killed 17 young men and boys over decades in order to exploit them sexually. Then he went on to uh, dismember uh, their bodies, I'm sorry, but that's what he did. And he preserved them, you know, everywhere in his apartment. And he even engaged in cannibalism. 
and talk about inhumaneness, right? Um, and he was convicted, obviously, of these deeds and was sentenced uh, almost a thousand years in prison, a thousand years. And, and you know, uh, eventually he was murdered by another uh, fellow inmate in prison. What's interesting is that before he died, he started reading the Bible and became a Christian and was uh, even baptized in prison by a minister who seemed to believe that his conversion was real. And at this point, I know it would be a controversy um, in terms of trying to figure out whether you know, his faith was genuine or not, or was he just faking it just to minima- uh, diminish his sentence? We don't know. It's between him and God. We don't know. What we do know is his gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is powerful to change even people like Dahmer. And if his faith indeed was genuine, if he surely believed in who Jesus was, then he must have received forgiveness from God for all his crimes, all of them. And right now he's in heaven. Because Jesus, as an almighty God, can overcome any obstacles that, humanly speaking, is not possible. Friends, what this means is this. Follow with me. If you believe that, that means for those of you who are unbelievers in this room right now, or joining through the live stream, what that means is no matter where you're in this journey for for faith, he can save and change you. Uh, In fact, recently, uh, this past week, I I met with some of you who graciously shared with me that you are on this journey right now and you're not a believer yet, but you want to believe, and how do you do that? Um. But I really need you to take this truth to heart if you're in that journey right now. Because he is working you right now through the Spirit. And I know, I believe that he will um, seize your doubts by his compelling truth. And he will give you peace as you continue to seek him. He is powerful. I hope you believe that. And if you're already a believer in this room, this also means, this truth means that God can overcome any struggle you have, any sin that you're struggling with, any secrets that you can tell nobody about, but he knows he will cleanse you over time. He will do it. He will defeat any sins or break any chain with faith, I ask you to keep fighting for your faith. Jesus can defeat any demons, any sins. He's an almighty God. That's the truth. And lastly, the current mission 
from the Lord. Now we're going to look at how uh, various people responded to Jesus, okay, in, in light of what happened. So look with me, verses 14 through 17. It says, The herdsmen fled and told it to, in the city, in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and, and saw the demon-possessed man and the one you know, who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart, to leave from their region. So the townspeople of the Decapolis, um, what they're doing here is that they do not want Jesus to stay near them. And you may wonder why. The main reason is because they're scared of him, because they just saw what he's capable of. They're, you know, fearing for their lives right now. But I would argue that the fact that, you know, they tell Jesus to leave right after they hear about the pigs, that indicates that their main concern is money. You see, these pigs, 2,000 pigs, they're not pets. Did you figure that out? They're not pets. Uh, at that time, those, the, the pigs were a very important source of their income. There, it's their livelihood. And then, then, then they see that and they realize that if you are to stay with Jesus, man, their money might be gone. He's a dangerous man. He might demand more from me. I can't be near him. Go away, Jesus. I'm, I'm not ready here. Meaning, they're resorting to their own authority over their lives, and they want their control over their lives. And as a result, spiritually, they are remaining in the same pitiful state as who? As a demoniac, the, the demon-possessed man. He has been healed, but these guys are still there. They're oppressed by their own idols and control. Now we turn to the other um, response, and that's our focus here. The, the, the response of the man who had been healed. Verse 18, it says, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Um, so the formerly demon-possessed man would like to go with Jesus. And I usually focus on the phrase that he might be with them. It's a technical word, actually, or a phrase. Uh, if you go to Mark 3, 14, I don't have that up there, but if you look it up later, uh, there, Jesus used the same phrase that, you know, they might be with them for the 12 disciples. Meaning, this man who's just been healed wants to follow Jesus all the way. He wants to be his disciple. In other words, this man is gladly accepting Jesus as his authority. He's surrendering to Jesus as his king, unlike the townspeople. But there's a twist here, verse 19. 
It says, but he did not, Jesus did not permit him. But he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus says no <laughs> to the request. He says, no, you cannot follow me. And of course, he's not turning down his desire to become a disciple. But rather, he's saying that he has a unique calling as a disciple of his. Uh, it's because he's a Gentile, and for him to join Jesus and his ministry right now at this stage of salvation history, that's problematic because they're going to go back to the Jewish area, and then they're going to persecute this Gentile guy. It's not the right timing. That's why he's saying no, I believe. But instead, again, um, you know, Jesus is giving him a special, unique mission. And that is that this guy is to remain, stay where he is, where he's from, and be a messenger for Jesus among his Gentile friends you know, by sharing his story and his testimony because all his friends knew what it was like before, right? He was this crazy demoniac. But now they see that he's been healed, so they wonder how or who did it. So he's a living testimony for his people. And that's a big advantage for him. In verse 20, the conclusion, it says, So he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So the man obeys the mission, and he preaches the gospel to everybody. And then um, the people marvel. And at this point, we don't know what happened. Like, what's the result? Were there any fruits of his ministry? But later, in chapter 7, we see, the, see Jesus coming back to Decapolis, and there, interesting, people are no longer telling him to leave, but they are asking him to heal this one guy. What that means is likely the man, the, the, the formerly de this demon-possessed man's ministry worked. People are now acknowledging the power of Jesus. They are not banishing Jesus anymore, but they are welcoming him to their town. His faithfulness is bearing fruit. What this means, guys, is that an important part of being a disciple, any of the disciples of Jesus, then pay attention. Being a disciple of Jesus means that you remain engaged with the current callings of yours and be faithful and share with them about your experience with Jesus. That's a duty. That's not an option. Your disciple and your job is to remain engaged with the people around you and be faithful about you know, your experience with Jesus. Let me just share this with you, uh, my experience. Um, so my wife and I, Deb and I, uh, were dating uh, like way back in Chicago. And at that time, uh, my wife was working in downtown Chicago. 
uh, near the, the bean, if you're familiar with the you know, geography there. And I was attending seminary um, in the north suburb, like about an hour away. So whenever, you know, Deb and I, um, you know, being a, you know, a romantic boyfriend at the time, I wanted to see her as much as possible. So here's our strategy. Whenever we wanted to have a date or, you know, hang out, you know, because of traffic, I would go down there, drive down there, like, early, and I would go into one of the coffee shops near her office or her apartment, and I would try to get some work done before she's done with her work, right? But if you know me, I do not like coffee shops for getting some work done because, I'm sorry for those who work there, um, because I'm pretty sensitive to noise. So whenever the, the baristas, like, you know, whack their things and just make sound, I just cannot focus, and all my great ideas about sermons are gone. I get, I get really frustrated, so I don't like to work at coffee shops. But I did for love. <laughs> so I would do this, you know, almost every week, but this one day, you know, I came to you know a Starbucks store in Chicago, and you know, just staying there as usual for a few hours until you know that was that was done with work. But again, honestly, I was just feeling a little bitter. I was like, oh, man, you know, I'm not getting anything done. I'm just like wasting my time here. Oh my goodness! While I was thinking that, <clears throat> a stranger comes and sits next to me. And uh, <clears throat> we're just working separately for some time. But somehow we started this conversation about just random things. And the next thing you know, it got pretty deep, like really deep. And um, he started sharing with me about his life, like just really deep stuff about himself. And basically he was just sharing, sharing with me that you know, he was taking a gap year from um, Georgetown University, a smart guy. But because of his mental health, you know, he was taking a break. So it's kind of like really just pouring out to me just all his struggles and anguish. Uh, in response, I, I did share about myself too. But you know, naturally, as I, because I was a Christian, I was just sharing about, um, you know, uh, how I'm walking with the Lord in parallel or in the midst of my struggles. I wasn't per se trying to like you know share the gospel with them, but I was just naturally sharing about my life. Um, and then afterwards, you know, we exchanged you know email addresses. Uh, but I was thinking like, oh, he's not gonna you know email me back. He'd, he'd probably think I was like I'm like really weird, you know. But he did email me back saying that he really appreciated the talk, that he felt understood, and it almost like you know made me choke up with tears because I mean I was like oh wow like that was touching for him and that helped him I was really humbled to hear that and even to this day I still know his name and his email, email address and I, I pray for him time to time because I really remember our conversation and I, I dearly cherish him and our talk but my point is this about this story you know I thought being selfish that I am I thought I was, you know, being stuck there for hours for no good reason. 
you know, then to try to get some work done through, you know, all the noise and just kill some time before, you know, that's done. That's what I was thinking. But in reality, behind the scene, God had called me to that location. God had called me. God orchestrated the conversation with me and my friend so that I can share about how I'm walking walking with the Lord, with him, and encourage him. And hopefully, at some point, he will join my walk too. What that means is, if you're a believer in Christ, you are never just stuck at any stage. You see what I mean? You're never stuck at any stage. If you're a student, if you're working, no matter how unsatisfied you are right now with your current stage, you're never stuck there. You see? God called you there so that you can be a blessing so that you can share with your life and conversations about Jesus. And the result will be that you will help those people, your friends, your families, be delivered from the darkness and oppression of Satan into the light of the Lord. God is using you wherever you are. Be faithful because that's what the duty of a disciple is. That's right, it's a duty. Be faithful. So in closing, as we discuss this maybe in our life groups or discussions, just think about these two questions. You know, where do you need the power and authority of Jesus in your life to overcome? And who in your current callings could you be acting as an agent of God to bring them, deliver them from their darkness? Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Um, just in light of the message and the uh, song that we just sang in response uh, could we just um, in our hearts and minds um, just open ourselves up to God um, you know how long how much longer um, you know shall we uh, keep trying to hold on to our lives and control it uh, the way we like and the falling to the the path of the townspeople you know, holding on to their economic gain and livelihood when all along the truly mighty one the truly uh, one that in, that, that's in control is Jesus who knows what's best he's the one that will carry us through he's the one that can help us overcome no matter what storm that we're in he's the one So may we just surrender to God. Lord, you are our King and Lord. Reign in us. Every part of my life may be pledging to you, God. What part of me am I holding on still and not letting go? Lord, reign in me. Reign in us. 
And as you do that, also ask uh, in prayer for boldness uh, and opportunities in your current callings where you can be a blessing and the agents of God's grace to the people around you. Can we do that? Just really trusting in God's power right now, even as we pray. Let's um, come come before God together as a church and ask Him in faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, God, we are sorry that we um, constantly undermine our authority in our lives and keep trying to usurp your rule in our lives. Lord, forgive us for always resorting to ourselves because our fear, we're afraid and anxiety over our lives when all along you are holding holding your hands wide towards us. Increase our faith, God, so we'll fall into you more and trust you more. God, I pray for those of us who have been struggling their current callings because of the the busyness and um, how tough it is, uh, how even excruciating because of maybe the people that are involved or uh, pressure that they have been feeling. Oh Lord, would you free them by your authority so that they can see and even experience joy in their current season and make the most of their season by being faithful witnesses of your gospel in their lives. May all of us, God, uh, live to the fullest. We only have perhaps 70 or 80 lives if we are blessed on earth. We don't want to waste our time on earth, God. Especially as disciples, we want to be faithful and experience your joy of uh, being part of uh, your kingdom expansion and seeing people's lives changed because we ourselves are being changed by holding on to your truth, by holding on to your authority and power that is changing us little by little. Thank you for your grace. Help us hold on to God as you hold on to us. Thank you, God, for your great love for us and by which we always get back up because your gracious is like an ocean, always embracing us and propelling us to grow and be forgiven of our sins. Help us.